It seemed to take forever for somebody to answer the door when Tony and I had knocked on. And when we was on the way to Dark Horse and Jello's apartment, I remember us going through what we was going to say to them, explaining how and why we was resigning from Bar Troopers to join one of their rivals. This was going to kill them. But without me trying to blow my own trumpet, there was losing two of the most charismatic team members and arguably the best seller in Tony. Dark Horse eventually opened the door and greeted us all friendly like, Alright lads, how are you? Come in. I'll always remember this situation as Dark Horse was that iron in a shirt as he'd often dress in a long sleeve dress shirt, jeans and loafers for the night ahead. And there was a bread knife on the coffee table which he'd probably was only using to cut up some bread to make a sandwich or whatever. But all what was running through my head that he was going to kill us with the knife for some reason. So through mumbled words... Me and Tony told Dark Horse that we was leaving Bar Troopers to join party crew. He hit the fucking roof. Through his slurry words what came towards us, he was asking why we was joining them. And he was in shock more than anything. And at the time, he was living in, a, in an apartment with our other boss, Jello. This next part would make the whole situation so much harder. And when I say harder, I mean harder not to laugh in front of your current employers when you're telling them that you're resigning to join one of their rivals. Dark Horse had shouted for Jello after he told us what he thought of us leaving to join party crew, and Jello had just come out of the shower. Jello came into the room what we was talking with Dark Horse in in a really good mood and greeted us with the classic Jello. Oh, hey guys, how are you? Apart from he was stood with a towel over his shoulders and in a pair of boxer shorts which was almost down to his knees, which I had to try so, so, so fucking hard not to laugh my head off at. But Jello was oblivious to what was going on, and I never thought I'd see my boss half naked before, but once Dark Horse had told him, he just said, Ah, what the fuck? And after me and Tony had explained our reasons to Jello, we agreed that we would be out of the current apartment which we were staying at whilst working for Bar Troopers that day, as Dave had organised us both new accommodation for working for Party Crew. When we left their apartment, I remember both me and Tony holding laughter until we got to the bottom of the steps, and then we both laughed uncontrollably at the fact that Jello had just had the whole conversation with us in his pants, but I still felt really bad for jumping ship. We'd already packed our cases before telling Dark Horse and Jello the news, as we expected them to want us out of our accommodation ASAP, so we picked our cases up and tried calling Dave. No answer. Try calling Dave again. No answer. At this point, I was thinking to myself, what have we done? We might not actually have any accommodation tonight now, and we've just told Dark Horse and Jello that we're going to be straight out of the apartment. But eventually, after around an hour of me flapping, Tony wasn't too bothered. We both managed to get through to Dave, who was trying to get us in his staff accommodation, and eventually he did, and we had to room with two girls who worked for party crew. Their names was Amy and Faye. We hadn't spoke much to Amy and Faye before joining party crew, but they always said the mutual all right and give us the old head nod when walk, walking up and down Flower Street when we crossed down the strip. And there was two really nice girls. I say we was rooming with them. What I really mean is David thrown us in the same apartment as them and one of us had a single bed on a really shitty frame in the living room and the other one of us had to crash on the couch whilst Amy and Faye had the bedroom and double bed to themselves. The only problem I really remember with with this was that we was living in the living slash dining slash kitchen area of the apartment and it didn't have no bloody aircon. 
and we moved in in July, July the 13th, 2011, to be precise. So it was fucking roasting. Excuse the mess of the of the apartment, but here's a picture of the room that me and Tony were sleeping in. Living with two girls wasn't all that bad, though, as the four of us only used the apartment for sleeping, really, and we never really locked horns with the girls or, or argued with them. And you see the occasional tit now and again, but at least we've made two friends straight away. I remember going to the party crew offices to get signed up by Dave and pick up our new lanyards with our name tags on. We also got handed our new uniforms and the holy grail of all discount cards. Dave, Dave was stood there laughing and they looked, looked at me and Tony and said, Ooh, you boys look good in green. And they give us our schedules for that week. This was so fucking regimented, a hell of a lot more than bar troopers. And you didn't work on every event which the company had put on. So the, the schedule was pretty much whereabouts in the resort you'd be working on which day, who you'd be working with and the events that you'd be working on that week. At Party Crew, they had a daytime part, phone party to sell, a few bar crawls and various other events with the with artists who'd play across the other three nightclubs who belonged to the same company as Party Crew. Them nightclubs was Disco Orange, Revolution, and Iceberg. Sellers of the three clubs I just mentioned thought it was unfair that we got to sell Party Crew events and the events for their clubs, as we were taking potential sales away from them, and to be fair, they did have a point. When I got my first schedule from Dave, I thought to myself I was working with weaker ticket sellers and the events I would get put to work on wasn't really the ones that I wanted to be working on. Party Crew had a German-only bar crawl as the German tourists back in 2011 only wanted to party with one another. And I remember this, I remember this event being on my schedule and I was scratching my head thinking, what in the fucking hell can I offer to 100 plus Germans who refuse to speak English? and will especially refuse to speak to me as I had a St. George's cross tattooed on my arm. My views on German people back in 2011 was flip reverse to what they are now, as back then I was like any other brain-dead British person who was bought thinking that Germany was the enemy. Honestly, they're really not, and I've made a lot of German friends since that season who were brilliant, and I suppose it worked both ways, as back in 2011 some Germans have been brought up to hate the English too, so all's fair I guess. Anyway, back to the German bar crawl. I couldn't even have fun on this event as, number one, I didn't speak German and they wouldn't respond in English. Number two, they probably didn't like me because I was English. And number three, who was in a German <laughs> German fucking bar called Die Party Hooter, which was only playing German music. The only way I can describe this music was the music you'd hear on that shitty Channel 5 program, Euro Trash, when they used to go to different countries across Europe but there was one track in fairness which was a banger called Disco Pogo. All the Germans would go absolutely mental to this track and the melody for the song was Disco Pogo, ding-a-ling-a-ling, ding-a-ling-a-ling, oh die out and sing. But if you want to go and have a listen to that, then go, go over to YouTube and search uh, Disco Pogo. It's quite a funny track. Anyway, enough of the first German pub crawl that I had to work on and back to my first work schedule with Party Crew. I remember comparing my schedule to Tony's and he was working with stronger sellers to me and was getting put in better selling positions around the resort, which had more tourists, which meant more money to be made and more sales. It was quite clear that I was only bought into Party Crew as a bargaining chip so Dave could sign up Tony. But if I remember correctly, back at Party Crew then, every team member used to share the commission 
so you get your basic sal salary as well um as well as your commission which was like pooled commission they called it back then uh which was good but when you're putting ship positions with ticket sellers who aren't as good at selling as others it it has quite a detrimental hit on your mental state as you feel like you're letting the team down I was teamed up with a Bulgarian lad called George quite a lot whilst I was at Party Crew. George was a fucking brilliant lad, to be fair, and I remain friends with him till this day. And he was always up for a laugh, and he tried really hard to sell tickets, but I think his pitch was just a bit too nice, and he'd leave tourists with the old, well, here's my number if you change your mind. And it was rare that they'd con contact him again for tickets, at least during the time that we worked together. At the time, not many companies would sell to Israeli people, it was mainly down to being too many incidents in the resort where groups of Israeli boys would crowd, crowd around girls and display really abnormal behaviour. I mean, behaviour like you'd think they'd never seen a pair of arse or tits in their life. It was really strange. Other members of party crew would call George, George of the Jews, as he let the Israelis slip through the net and he'd sign them up. But whenever I used to ask Israelis where they'd, they was from, They'd always lie and they'd say, I am from Spain or I am from Italy. But it was abundantly clear that there was from Israel. It's a shame really because I don't think all people from the same place are necessarily going to display the same behaviour. And there was just like anybody else wanting to go on holiday for a good time and have a good party. But the majority spoiled it from the minority. So nobody, well, they'll say nobody, no companies wanted the Israelis on their events because they'd scare away tourists from other countries especially female tourists. But I felt like at Party Crew, Dave would always put the lazy sellers who were his favourites at the ticket shop, which was a little makeshift stand next to a British bar called Jack's. And whoever was working there literally didn't have to do anything, as anybody who was interested in a Party Crew event just used to go to the ticket shop. Yet everybody who worked on it was would claim that there was the best seller to Grace Sunny Beach, as a lot of tickets would be sold through the shop. There was a lot of favouritism from somebody who was meant to be a manager and it wasn't even like it wasn't obvious because it was blatant. I wasn't too bothered that I wasn't one of Dave's favourites as I knew I was just a bargaining chip in order for him to sign up one of the best sellers in the resort. But I felt sorry for people like George. I've only mentioned three people who worked for Party Crew so far but there were some other decent people who worked for them who eventually took a shine into me and Tony as well. I could understand most of them had already formed their cliques as it was... July and most of them had arrived in May like myself and Tony and when we got drafted over from a, com from a company that they used to laugh at it did take them a little bit longer and to you know take a shine into us and for me and Tony to feel part of the group and feel accepted. Two lads who made us feel welcome from the beginning from our time at Party Crew was a pair of brothers Ray and Ian these two lads were Londoners and probably the backbone of party crew in 2011 and would often have a really good laugh with me and Tony. But one of the first questions I remember Ray asking me is if I had to compare myself to any footballer, who would it be? And I replied, Emil Heskey in an attack, holding attacker role and the boys just cracked up in fits of laughter. And Ray continued to call me Heskey throughout the season, which in turn, no pun intended, got the ball rolling with me and them lads. Other party crew lads who I got on really well with was a lad called Matt, a girl called Millie who was a fellow northerner who funnily enough was my hotel rep 
the year before in 2010 when I went out there on a lad's holiday and another Bulgarian lad called Ivan who was, a, a no, again, another really accommodating lad. To be fair, I think Bulgarian people get a bad reputation for no reason. I never once had any trouble with the Bulgarian people whilst I was in Bulgaria. And it's a country you go to, and if you respect the country, their people will respect you. Like I said in the trailer for this podcast, a lot of people would dismiss Bulgaria just because of the way Bulgaria sounds. But honestly, it's a beautiful country with a rich history, and it's one of the oldest countries in the world which has never changed its name. I can understand why a lot of locals used to get really pissed off with disrespectful young Brits who'd do shit like pissing in the streets or shagging on the beach. And in fairness, if Bulgarians came to my hometown and behaved in that way, I'd be the exact same. I quickly learned that one of the easiest ways to gain a Bulgarian's respect was by speaking in Bulgarian to them. Like I said, I had a lot of Bulgarian friends, so I took it upon myself to learn some basic Bulgarian, which I could use in everyday situations. I, like many other stupid idiots, started with the stupid words. So pussy equals putka. Little pussy, putka mina. Wanker, chigajia. I was getting the hang of this. And then I'd start learning with what I really needed to know. So zrasti, hello. Dobre den, good day. Kaksi, which isn't to be confused with taxi, means how are you. Dobre is okay. Mojali, may I have. I'd then start putting them into sentences when visiting supermarkets to buy cigarettes. So it'd go like this. Zrasti mojli Marlboro Gold Molia, which then translated to, hello, may I have some Marlboro Golds, please? The locals were lapping it up, but then I'd carry on conversation, but then they'd carry on conversation in Bulgarian, to which I didn't have, have a clue what to reply with. But it was nothing a smile and a nervous laugh couldn't sort out. Respect. That's all the locals in Sunny Beach wanted at the end of the day as those pissed up brats were working out there for five months in the summer. So if you respect them and their culture, then they will respect you in turn. I did learn more Bulgarian over the years, not as much as I'd like to, but enough to get by. Uh, but I'll try and get, get to all the rest of it throughout the series. So if you've never been to Bulgaria before and people try talking shit to you about the Bulgarian people, ignore them. Because from my experience of working over there for seven years, they are good people. And if you respect them, they respect you. Back to the events. The first event I worked on whilst I was at Party Crew was a daytime phone party. This was at a beach club called Guava, but since has changed its name to Guava. Well, it was Guava back in 2017. Whether it's changed its name again now, I'm not too sure. But there was a huge inflatable pool being filled by massive phone cannons. Let's just say it was a bit better than the Survivor's bar crawl phone party that we had over at Bar Troopers in Lazor. And I remember it at the start of the event, Matt coming over to me from uh, with a party crew vest, holding it in front of me like I'd just signed for Manchester United. From memory, this event started early in the afternoon and it ended around 6pm, and everybody was absolutely bollocks by the time it was finished. There was also a rule whilst working on party crew events, which they used to get both the guests and the staff to do, um, which took me a while to adapt to. Right hand fucking drinking. For my first week at Party Crew, I'd be levered early doors because of this stupid rule, and it's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. If you get caught drinking with your right hand, then that means you have to down whatever drink you had. It costs tourists an absolute fortune, I imagine, 
but I didn't have to pay for my drinks whilst working on events, so it didn't really affect me, only my liver. There were sly ways for people to get people to write behind drink too, with the classic, hold on mate, can you hold my drink for a second, um, to bartenders intentionally passing a drink over to the bar to your right hand side as well. It took me at least a week to adapt to drinking with my left hand, but once you've got it, you've got it. The first week working at Party Crew was going alright at best. I felt a lot more pressure working for them, but the team were actually a decent bunch of people. A lot better than I thought they'd be, to be fair. I'd often beat myself up, though, for not selling as as many tickets as I knew that I could do, but to this day, I'll put it down to the people I was working with. When ticket selling abroad, if you're working in a pair and if one of you is slacking, then the other person naturally starts slacking. I'd often be put on free walks whilst working for party crew, which meant I'd just walk to anywhere in the the resort trying to sell tickets rather than just stood in one stationary position. I remember a day working on a free walk in my first week with party crew, and I can't remember who it was I was working with, but they told me that there was a bar where all the free walkers who couldn't be asked working that day would just go go and congregate and get pissed rather than selling tickets and that the managers never went near that bar. That bar was called Bacardi Bar. We'd literally go to the Bacardi Bar and sit with around six to eight other workers who couldn't be asked for six-hour drinking sessions, which sometimes got a bit pricey, but when you're hanging from the night before and you can't be asked to approach tourists, it was ideal. The plan was if a manager ever walked by and asked what you was doing, you'd just say that you was taking a break and Bacardi Bar was at the other side of the resort and it was tucked out of the way and there was hardly any, anybody ever in there either, which made it a great little hideout alcohol retreat. We'd often buy an English newspaper and just sit in there sinking pints until there was around an hour to go on your sh- left on the shift and then try and hit some sales on the final hours while steaming whilst you was walking back into the centre of the resort. It was a great place to lay low when you was having a rough day and an even better place to start pre-drinks before getting ready for the night ahead. It didn't always go to plan when I was doing free walks in resort. You'd often meet people earlier in the day and arrange to meet them at the hotel at such and such a time and then try and sell them tickets. And I remember one day I had to walk right up to the north side of the beach walk to try and sell tickets to a group of lads. They turned up to the meeting outside the hotel and I got about six tickets in the bag, which was a result. However, walking back from their hotel to the centre of the resort, disaster was about to strike. I don't know what I'd eaten that day, but I remember on the way back sparking up a cigarette and my stomach started churning. It was the kind of feeling you have when you have the first cigarette of the day before you go for your morning shite. I'd have to start running and fast. As I ran from the north of the resort, heading into the centre of the resort, I was like a gazelle. I felt my stomach churning more and more the faster that I picked up the pace. I was in big, big trouble. I'd got within 500 metres of the closest toilet, which happened to be be at Burger King at this point. And my stomach was really bad and I felt a hurricane of wind inside of me, which was making me feel absolutely horrific. I had to take the chance. I had to do the dreaded 50-50 fart. I call them 50-50 farts because there's a 50% chance that you shit yourself and there's a 50% chance that it's just a bit of wind. After taking the risk, it was apparent that this wasn't wind at all and it felt like I'd blow my nose down my pants. It was fucking disgusting. I'd stopped running at this point and I'd clenched my arse cheeks together and I was making the weirdest waddle. I was like, I don't know, I look like a fucking penguin. I'm doing a really weird waddle 
to the Burger King toilets. And upon arrival, I had to pay the standard 50 Stedinky toilet charge to use the toilets and try and sort myself out. I got into the toilets, took my pants off, and I'll never forget, there was a pair of boxers with a Union Jack on with what can only be described as brown snot caked in my boxer shorts. I threw them in like this little bin which had holes in in the, in the Burger King toilet and I put my denim shorts back on as I shamelessly walked back to my apartment to put a new pair of boxers on. Sharting one, Byron nil. As I mentioned earlier, when working for Party Crew, we was also allowed to sell tickets for other venues within the company and Disco Orange used to host a twice as nice night where they get UK acts coming come to perform at the club. On one of the twice as nice nights, they had Harvey from Soul Solid Crew performing, and the bonus was the bonus was that we was able to, able to sell it. I remember listening to Soul Solid Crew when I was younger, and I was pretty confident in my ability of selling this event, as I don't know anybody from the UK who hasn't had a bop to twenty one seconds at least once in their life. The day of the event, I remember seeing a group of British lads approaching and thinking to myself, "This has got to be four guaranteed sales." As they approached me, I just screamed at them, All right, lads, what are you up to tonight? We have Harvey from the Soul Solid crew performing at Disco Orange. 21 seconds, 21 seconds, I'd bellow as they got closer. One of the lads then turned to me and said, Sorry, mate, we're flying home tonight. I just came out with no worries, boys. Have a safe journey back. Bummer, that was off home. That's what I thought anyway until they walked past me and I saw a huge Soul Solid tattooed across one of the lads' backs. Surely fucking not. As they walked on, I ran up to the group and approached the lad with the Soul Solid tattoo on his back. And I said to him, you're Harvey, aren't you? I've just just tried selling you tickets to your own event. Him and his mates were absolutely pissing themselves at me. But they were a good set of lads, to be fair. And I had a picture with Harvey. And and that, that was that. I wished him well for the night. What a tit I am. One of the social hubs for the British workers back in 2011 was a bar called Jack's Bar. Jack's was run by a fellow northerner called Christian. There wasn't many northerners working back in Sunny Beach in 2011, so when you met another northerner, it was kind of a big deal, and Christian was a top fella who was always up for a laugh. Working for him, he had two Geordie lads, Aidan and James. These two lads were also top draw, and although their job was completely different to what us lot on the strip was doing, Everybody got on like a house on fire with them. Jack's was a family bar which showed a lot of British sports and had proper British nights on like karaoke, race night, quiz night and uh, and bingo, you know, for the British families to attend on the evening. And between Christy and James and Aidan, there was all compares. It was kind of like a conservative club that you'd get back home, but a little bit more lively. Most British workers used to eat the lunch at Jack's as they provided a 50% discount for the staff and I always got the same thing every day from there. Grilled chicken, lettuce, mayo, baguette and chips for the bargain price of 3 levs 25 which that was including discount. It was banging and that translated to around £1.75 in English. Shout out to the waitress who worked there back in 2011 as well, Dee Dee. She worked all hours of the day and she knew pretty much everybody's order um, off by art, all the workers who went in. And we must have done her fucking head in, to be fair. A night that I'll never forget is the 30th of July 2011. DJ Tiesto was playing at Cacao Beach. 
Cacao Beach was a music venue on the beach around five minutes drive away from the center of Sunny Beach and used to hold some of the greatest DJs on the planet and th- thousands of people would flock from all over Bulgaria and Europe just to, event, uh, just to attend the events held there. Every man and his dog was going to the Tiesto gig apart from two people in the resort, me and Tony. Because me and Tony had switched from Bar Troopers to Party Crew, it meant we had to wait to get our monthly salary so we couldn't afford a ticket to the Tiesto gig. We were absolutely gutted as literally every worker in the resort was going to Cacao that night, but James and Aiden had told us to come to Jack's if we wasn't doing anything, as it was bingo night, and in Jack's it was only one left for a local Bulgarian beer, with discount. Um, So we could have a cheap night in there, and have a bit of a laugh with them two lads at the same time. When we got to Jack's, we bought a ticket each for the bingo, and started knocking back the cheap pints, and the bingo, bingo had begun. The jackpot was like 500 levs or something like that, and me and Tony agreed if either of us had won that we'd half the winnings. Picture the scene, a packed out British bar filled with family and their kids or old married, old married couples wanting to have a nice game of bingo, and Tony was imitating, Im, imitating James and Aidan's Geordie accents when they were trying to say the numbers which was getting called out. And then Tony would get hissed at by angry Susan and her three kids telling him to show up. The first game was a, a line for a win. The second game, two lines for a win. And then the third game was for the big jackpot of 500 levs. I hardly hit a bloody number on the first two games. And the third, the, and on the third, all the numbers were adding up, but I still don't think I really had a chance. And I didn't think Tony did either until he shook my arm and said, Oh my God, Byron. I only need three numbers. What happened next was unbelievable. As the next number came and he shook my arm again. Oh my God, two more numbers. Then the next number came and he was really shaking both my arms now. He was saying, no shit, Byron, one more number and bingo, one more number. And then that one number came. Fucking bingo. I've not a clue how he managed to hit the final, final three numbers in a row. And me and Tony had won the jackpot. But how Tony celebrated, I hear you ask. Well, let me tell you how Tony celebrated. He got his winnings and started waving the money at all the families who were telling him to show up throughout the game. <laughs> and he was laughing his head off, saying things like, fuck the lot of you, I'm the winner and I'm going to Tiesto, while sticking his fingers up at everybody in the bar. So that was it. Me and Tony was then going to the Tiesto gig, but we had to pay on the door. So like I said, me and Tony had enough money to get to the Tiesto, courtesy of a jackpot win at a family bingo down at Jack's. Fucking unbelievable. That night at Cacao Beach will forever go down as one of my best nights, one of the best nights of my life, as there must have been around 20,000 plus people raving on the beach. To, To which, in my opinion, probably the best DJ in the world. The lighting system, the atmosphere, the people we spent that night with will be hard to top. And it was the first time, it was our first time ever down at Cacao Beach. There's people dancing in the sea. There's people on yachts watching the gig um, from in the sea. And there was a fuckload of people just having it large. I think one of the best things about Cacao Beach is that no matter who you worked for, everybody who worked in resort would drop the rivalries for that one night. Um, with You know, if they had beef with other companies or whatever. Um, and enjoy a night of great music without a care in the world. It was like one huge family when we went down to Cacao. 
and Tiesto played from around 12 a.m., 1 a.m. until around 7 or 8 a.m. And whilst at Cacao, you would always watch the sun come up over the mountain before the night was over. I'll never forget Tiesto playing Maum's remix of examples Watch the Sun Come Up whilst the sun was creeping up over the mountain. I'm getting goosebumps just telling you like this now, but if you want to see it for yourself, then go over to YouTube and search uh, Tiesto Cacao Beach Watch the Sun Come Up and you can see it for yourself. It was fucking special. I don't think many workers turned up to the day after the Tiesto gig, which would usually be the case after a party at Cacao, as everybody was an absolute write-off. And you have to be more creative with your excuses than everyone than everyone else, as then it wouldn't be a coincidence if over 100 workers in resort had the shits at the same time. But not long after the Tiesto gig, I was getting down with it myself working for Party Crew, as it was different and a lot more regimented than bar troopers, and I was struggling to find any confidence selling tickets for Party Crew. As even though I got on with everybody in the party crew team, I felt like a shadow of my former self at Bar Troopers. Maybe this was because I was working for a more established company and I felt the pressure a hell of a lot more. Um, Because again, it wasn't as laid back as Bar Troopers. And I think that Dave knew that himself too. So he asked, asked me to come to the office for a chat, to which I accepted. Here we fucking go.